But by grace you are saved through faith. In this, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God so that no one may boast. Not of works. Not of anything we have done. And so, on Judgment Day, let's think about this. On Judgment Day, those whose sins have been forgiven are going to have one thing and one thing only that's going to matter when they stand before God. And what is that? Knowing the Son of God. That's it. Jesus said, as we talked about before, on that last day, not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. He'll say, depart from me, for I never knew you. You see, this isn't just about getting the right answers on the test. Judgment day is not going to be multiple choice. There are no cheat sheets. Judgment day is going to be about one thing and one thing only. Does the Son of God know you? Does He know your name? Are your sins forgiven? And on that day, in that moment, God's not going to grade on the curve. He's going to grade on the cross. And it's up to us now to respond in faith to what He has given us. Because God's not going to give us any more than He already has. He has revealed His Son. He has given us the Scripture. He has given us the Spirit of God. He has given us the church. He has given us uh, teachers and, and, and pastors and evangelists and the apostles. He has given us everything through history that led to the cross. And He has promised the return of Jesus. And so He has given us everything that we need to believe. And so my question to you today is, do you know the Son of God? Not do you know everything about Him. Not can you quote a whole bunch of Bible verses. Not have you gone to church for a long time or you know, are, are you new to church. Do you know the Son of God? Because it is the Son on which the Father has set His seal. It is the Son that the Father has testified to that we should believe. And this is where John starts to take his readers as he's, as he's wrapping up his letter. We're getting to the end of 1 John. He wants us to know who exactly Jesus is. And this has been a concern of John's through, it, through his gospel and through this letter. He wants us to know that the name of Jesus, the person, the work of Jesus, is what is so fundamental to who we are. That when we take our eyes off of that is when we get in trouble. It's what allows us to believe false gospels. It's what makes false teachers appealing because we take our eyes off of Jesus. And we don't take our eyes off of Jesus most of the time out of malice. It's not an intentional choice of like, today I think I'll look elsewhere. We drift We slowly drift, and when we've drifted far enough, our enemy knows, okay, they're now distracted enough. I can send this into their lives, and they'll believe it. And so it's important 
for us to know what the truth is. Know it when we hear it. Know when we hear that something is against it. And so, in our modern time, there have been, there, there's been a real push in, in a lot of ways. And it's not entirely bad, but there's been a push over the last several decades that sermons, you know, need to be very practical. You know, I, what do I do with this during the week? I, I need practical help. I need this to, to fit into my life here. But, you know, sometimes there's a level of theology we just have to learn that's not practical in that sense, and yet it is the foundation of life. And sometimes we can want things to be so practical that we forget the mystery and the wonder and the awe that we are worshiping Almighty God. I mean, when's the last time you just sat and thought about what God has truly done for you in Jesus Christ? To really think about what it is that we have in our faith and what we believe. Let's think about that for just a second. It's remarkable. What do we believe? What is the core of our faith? That there's one God who spoke everything into existence. Have you ever spoken anything into existence? I haven't can't you know i tell my laundry all the time put yourself up it doesn't listen and yet god it says spoke and it was we also believe that god exists in three persons father son and holy spirit and that god the son set aside the benefits of being eternal God and became a man and visited His creation as a part of His creation. That's a remarkable claim that God became a man and that He lived a perfect sinless life, died a sacrificial death on the cross, a human man died on a Roman cross in crucifixion And two days later, on the third day, came back to life. That's a remarkable claim. (laughs) I know we hear it so much in church that we can kind of grow numb to the extraordinary nature of the claims that we say we believe. But that's a big one. Because he's the only person in history to ever predict his own death and his own resurrection and pull it off. Nobody else has ever said, you know, when I die, I'm coming back. There may have been some crazy people that said it, but guess what? They're still dead. Jesus came back to life. The body, the corpse, reanimated and came out of a tomb under his own power. And then it says he ascended into heaven. Who here would like to fly if you could? I would. That'd be like amazing. But that's what the church is standing there. The 500 people standing there watching. And he's like, see you later. And he flies. These are remarkable claims. And so when we say, I'm a Christian, we're saying, I believe that all of these things are not just my belief system, but are true foundational things that happened in history that we can look back to. 
that I know because I am born again, because God now has sent His Spirit to live within me, I know and have a relationship with the Son of God who came back to life. These are remarkable claims. And if we don't understand what that means, we'll be less impressed with it than we should be. And so sometimes, like today, we have to have what I call a theologically informative sermon. This is not 12 steps to how to live your life better, okay? This is how to understand who the Son of God is and what the Bible says about Him better. Because the more we understand that, the more it impacts our lives. And we don't need all the practical sermons because we already have the truth to guide us. And so, look with me in 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, going through verse 12. And we get an amazing testimony to who Jesus Christ is in this passage. It says, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men... The testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, that's pretty plain. And like I said, no, this isn't one of those that you're going to take out and it's like how to engage your neighbors or, you know, how to find financial freedom and and all this. None of that, you know, it's not bad. It's not bad. I'm not knocking it. But sometimes the Bible wants to go deep. And we have to let it. We got to go with it. You know, the Bible says deep calls unto deep. You want a deeper faith? You want more power in your life? You need to know who Jesus Christ is better. I doubt you need to do more. You probably just need to believe more. And what we believe then is important. And the Bible guides us into that in true depth. And it's not, it's stuff that we have to think about and we have to pray about and we have to rely on the Spirit of God to give us understanding because in our carnal mind, we can't get there. It is a matter of faith to go deeper into faith. And it's not faith in faith, it's faith in Jesus Christ. But as we do that, God will call us to deeper and deeper understanding of things that will change how we think about everything. And some of you in here know what I'm, what I'm talking about with this, is you've had those aha moments of something very deep and something very real in Scripture that it just kind of changes the tenor of everything as you're listening and you're reading, and God is like, hey, pay attention to this. And you're like, oh, wow, this is deep. And it doesn't change your beliefs, it just deepens them to such a fashion that now you start to see life differently. And so let's dive into the deep end today, okay? Everybody got your floaties? 
Because we're going to go into the deep end and we're going to see that John talks about three witnesses to the divinity of Christ in this passage. Three witnesses to it. Okay? And he says again, let's read. He says, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify. The Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. So what is the first thing? He says he came by water. I believe, and there is some debate on this. Again, when we go in deep theologically, it's not always the solid ground we want it to be. But I believe that this is talking about the baptism of Jesus Christ. Why? Because this was a testifying moment to who he was. Now, some will say it's the birth of Christ because of uh, the, the waters of pregnancy. And there is, that is a testifying moment too. So maybe he's talking about both. And that's okay. He could be talking about both. Because both moments gave a true testimony to who Jesus was. At his birth, you saw the angels appear to the shepherd and said, a Savior's born. There's testimony given by God. At his baptism, what do we see? In Luke 3, 21 and 22, it says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. That's never happened when I've baptized people. When God himself speaks from heaven, I think everybody needs to stop and listen. And that's what he intended right here. And John is talking about testimonies. What is testimony? It is the verbal accounting of something. It is the backing up with fact, the truth that is in front of us. If you go to a court to testify to something, you are saying, this is what happened, this is what I know, this is the truth. And so in the court of creation here, God has testified to who Jesus is, and who is he? He is the Son of God. Not only is the Son, he is the Son with whom the Father is well pleased. And so the baptism of Jesus is a witness that he is, in fact, the Son of God, announced by the very voice of the Father. Think of that. And John the Baptist, at this baptism, also gave witness to who Jesus is. In John 1, 29-30, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Now, if you pay attention to the book of Matthew and Luke and the birth of John the Baptist and Jesus, who was older on earthly years? John the Baptist. Yet, what does John say? He says, oh, no, he was before me. He came way, way, way before me because he is God himself. But we now have two testimonies about who Jesus is at the baptism. What are they? He is the Son of God with whom God is pleased, and we have He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see why it's important that we understand these things? Because who it is that we worship, Jesus is very specific. 
We don't worship just a philosophy that Jesus gave or a teaching that he gave. We don't just celebrate him as an example. We celebrate him as King of kings and Lord of lords. As the one who, as we just sang, is worthy to open the scroll. And in Revelation, opening the scroll means he is worthy to bring about the end of the world and bring in the kingdom of God. That is no light honor. And so, the first witness we have is the water, in which we find out he is the Son of God and he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Next, he says that it is the blood, that he came by water and by blood. Obviously, the blood means the crucifixion of Christ. The entire Old Testament sacrificial system was based around blood sacrifice. The entire thing. Everything that was done by God in the Old Testament that established any kind of covenant, that established any kind of forgiveness, that established anything, was always sealed by blood. Temple worship occurred and they did what? They sacrificed goats and bulls and birds and they poured the blood on the altar, on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. They were always performing blood sacrifices. And Jesus said, the Scriptures, they testify to me. And so if anyone was paying attention at all, to the Old Testament and what it was pointing to, we knew that a sacrifice was coming. And not just any sacrifice, but the sacrifice. In Hebrews 9.22, it said, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And then this, And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So it takes the blood sacrifice of the Lamb of God who is the Son of God to take away the sins of the world. This is the witness that we believe. This is what they have taught us. So when it comes to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the blood sacrifice on the cross reveals who He was and stated at His baptism by John the Baptist that He was in fact the Lamb of God. The blood witnesses to the mission of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus. Have you thought about that? That His blood represents His life. That this was not just a a, a sacrifice to be done as an example, but His life was given and His blood was shed. All of it was given. And so that He, who was the Son of God, experienced death. Again, think about the fantastic claim that we have here. God died. Some of you bristled at that inside. I know you did. And you know what? Good. Because this, the the idea of what we are teaching, that's why the Jewish people in the first century missed it when, when the crucifixion happened. They could not fathom the idea of a Messiah who was crucified. The Messiah is the chosen one of God. They could not envision the Son of God dying on a cross. It makes no sense. God is all-powerful. God is holy. He would never be crucified because He's the conquering warrior. It doesn't make any sense. And so they weren't even thinking about it. And yet Jesus said, that's why He came. 
That's my purpose. Is to give my life as a ransom for many. And so, his sacrifice was not one that was only spiritual. And there are heretical teachings and probably some of the heresy that John was fighting when he wrote this letter where the seeds of this beginning is that there are teachings out there that still exist today that somehow Jesus ceased being the Christ before he died. That the divine nature departed from Jesus and that just the man was left to die. That's what, G, that's what John was fighting here with the seeds of that kind of heresy. And so he's saying, no, 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 that's not what happened. There's, there are the three testimonies. There's the water and the blood. He, he was not only pronounced in baptism and in birth to be the Son of God, but his death and the shedding of his blood also pronounced him to be the Son of God. And it's important for us to understand this, to internalize it, to just know this is what it is because these truths protect us from these heresies that come around and try to convince us of something else. That try to twist and distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the Christ, the chosen one of God, on whom the Spirit descended, was also a man who died on the cross and gave every drop of his blood for the cleansing of sin. And as John has said in confession already in this letter, we confess that Jesus came in the flesh and that Jesus is the Son of God, that the two combined and that he was the Word made flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. There was also a third testimony, and that was the Holy Spirit. He said, these three agree, the water, the blood, and the Spirit. Now, what is it we see with the Holy Spirit? Well, there's a lot here that the Spirit has testified to who Jesus is, and that is through prophecy, baptism, and resurrection. The Scriptures, both Old and New Testament, are inspired by the Holy Spirit. Nothing in this book was the invention or idea of a man. Was it written by man? Yes. But it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Meaning every word in here is trustworthy. The Holy Spirit has given us the Scriptures and they point us to God. They point us to Jesus. They tell us the record of what God has done and what God has done is reveal His Son to us. And so throughout the Old Testament, everything was pointing forward to Jesus. Look here, look here, it's coming, it's coming. The day of the Lord, the one, it's coming. You have all of these moments that happen that, that are types of Christ. You have the, the, the almost sacrifice of Isaac by Abraham, the almost sacrifice of the one son. You have the three Hebrew teenagers in the fiery furnace and they look in and there's a fourth who looks like a son of God. You have over and over and over this hinting of the one who is going to come and then Jesus comes and he says this to the Pharisees in John 5, 39 through 40. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. 
yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. See, we don't worship the Bible. This is a record, an inspired record, but just a record and a teaching and an inspired teaching to what? To point us to Jesus. To point us to Him. But the Spirit prophesied through this, through people, inspired all of it. So the Spirit is giving witness to who Jesus is and has been from the beginning. The Spirit descended upon Jesus at the baptism in the form of a dove. The Spirit declared Him the Son of God then through the resurrection. Have we thought about what the Spirit actually did at the resurrection? He did something He's not done for any other human being, nor will He do again in that sense. Now, we will be raised again and such, but it's because we are a part of the resurrection of Jesus. We're not doing it on our own. Remember, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And to be in Him means we participate in His resurrection. So when, in the end, when the dead in Christ are raised, when Jesus returns, it's not that they're raised of their own accord or, or they're raised because of who they are. They're raised because of who Jesus is and what He did. And it keeps our eyes off of ourselves and it keeps it off of other people as those to whom we, we worship or, or we trust wholeheartedly like we would trust Jesus in the Scriptures. All of us are flawed human beings, and if we take our eyes off of Jesus and start looking at each other to fulfill the role of Jesus, guess what? We're all going to be disappointed. And over and over, and yes, I understand, trust me, I have been there. There is no hurt like when a church hurts you or a brother in Christ hurts you. There is something in that that we just push against. We're like, that should not happen. But when we absolutely refuse to associate with the body of Christ because of a failing of the body of Christ, we've put our faith in the body of Christ instead of in Christ Himself. There's a reason God tells us to forgive one another because we're all going to blow it in some way at some time. And more than once. More than once. But we forgive, we love, and we continue to follow the one who has never blown it and never will. And so listen to what Paul says about the resurrection in Romans chapter 1, 1 through 4. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So he's talking about the testimony of the Spirit, same thing. Concerning his Son, same thing. The Spirit is witnessing to the Son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you know that in our faith, if we have to boil it all down, I mean, we can talk about the history, we can talk about the Bible and how, you know, it's true and, and it's the greatest ancient historical document that's ever existed in its accuracy. We can talk about everything that God has done, but if you want to play the one trump card that we have that cannot be disputed, it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That tomb was empty. 
historically verified, proven, and believed on so quickly in history that it was clear that those who followed Jesus Christ genuinely believed he had risen from the dead. Not a story that was fabricated, made up two, three hundred years later, but something that happened and was so powerful that within just a few years of it happening, the confession of him being raised from the dead was already genuine, constant practice within the new church that, that came into existence. Historically, that doesn't happen. Even your most ardent critics, atheists of of Christianity, those who will not believe the Bible, they don't like it. If you got into this discussion with them and they are at least intellectually honest, they'll admit they cannot explain what happened at the tomb because it was empty. You see, the Holy Spirit did something that cannot be countered, and that is raise Jesus Christ from the dead. And these three witnesses are the witnesses God has given us to know what Jesus has done, who he is, and that our faith is secure. He says these three testify together, and he says, look, we'll receive the testimony of men, right? We believe. When you read a history book, do you believe it most of the time? We believe the testimony of men. He says, but the testimony of God is greater and God himself has testified in three different ways by the water, by the blood, and by the Spirit. And we have to believe those witnesses. It's up to us. You know, it's like if somebody lays the proof right in front of you and you're like, well, I just refuse to receive it. I'm just not going to believe it. What do you do after that when it's there? You can't give them more truth. You, you know, you can't, oh, well, hold on. I held some truth back. Now do you believe? If the full truth is exposed, it's up to us to receive it. And if it is the full truth and it is the foundational truth, that means it's never going to change. Never change. So when somebody comes along and they start to teach something like, well, you know, in the resurrection, what it really happened was, no, no, no. You're changing it. This is it. Nothing else. It will not change. Nobody will add to it, nor will they take away from it. This is the foundational truth that we have to believe. And you know, the great thing is we don't have to do this on our own. You see, when we believe the truth, we receive the Holy Spirit. And so through our lives, we will receive the assurance of the Spirit. You see, God doesn't just lay the truth out there and say, okay, now it's completely up to you to just receive it, and I hope you figure it out. No, he sent his spirit to guide us into truth, to help us, to illuminate, to give our minds the ability to understand and recognize that truth, and then to walk in it. You see, listen to what John says again, starting in verse 6. He says, and the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three, uh, these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning us, his Son. See, John is showing us exactly what the Holy Spirit is going to do in our lives. He is going to testify to the truth 
and the truth is Jesus Christ because the Spirit is the Spirit of God and Jesus is the Son of God and the Spirit of God, Son of God, same God, they're going to testify to each other. They will always be in agreement. Always. So listen to what Jesus said about the coming of the Spirit. In John 16, 7 through 11, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. See, what the Spirit does is reassure our hearts of the truth. He will always point us to the truth. He will separate darkness from light. He will tell us when we are in sin and when we are in, in faith. He will tell us the difference between what is good and what is bad. He will lead us into truth. Now, this is important. This is one of those foundational things, again, about our faith because the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to say this as easily as I can, but you just got to receive it for what it is. The Holy Spirit does not come to be your personal cheerleader in life. He comes to testify to the truth of Jesus Christ and to guide us into that which is most important in the world and for all eternity. So the Holy Spirit is not going to make everything make sense for us. He's not going to explain everything that we want. He's not going to give us everything that we want. The Holy Spirit is not there for us to turn on and off at will whenever we want to hear from Him. Jesus said in John 3, the Spirit comes and it goes. The wind blows. You don't know where it's coming from. There is a mystery to the Holy Spirit that we have to embrace in our lives, but we know what the Spirit is going to do. When the Spirit moves, He will convince us of the truth. He will convict the world. And you know what? We're part of the world. We, all of it regarding what? Concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So He will teach us about righteousness. He will guide us into the truth and the righteous living that God wants us to have. That's what He's going to do. He's going to convince us of what sin is. He's going to convict us of sin and tell us that's wrong. Stay away from it. And he's going to warn us of judgment and the world of the judgment that is to come. That's it. He's not here to make sense of everything that we want him to make sense. He's not here to take orders from us. And so we have that assurance within us when we know what our faith is about. Because now we know, you see, think about this. Now we know who it is that we worship. We worship the Son of God who gave his life on the cross for us and is coming back to judge the world, to judge the living and the dead. He will return. We know who it is we worship. And anything that distracts us from that is not from God. We know how we worship the Son of God, and that is by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit who will convict us regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. He is going to guide us into the truth of who Jesus is. And he will empower us to live for him and thus tell other people about Jesus and join him in the mission of convicting the world of sin, 
righteousness, and judgment. That's how this is going to happen. So anything that pulls us away from that, think about it, it's easily rejected then. We we don't have to worry about, well, am I going to be fooled? If we're listening to the Holy Spirit, we know the Scriptures, and our faith is firmly in the gospel and Jesus Christ and what he did and who he is, guess what? Nothing can fool you. Nothing can fool you. Satan himself could appear before you and do his best to deceive you, and the Holy Spirit will not allow you to be deceived. And you know how I know that? Because Jesus said so. He said, in the end, the delusion will be so strong in the world that it says even the elect would be fooled if that were possible. You know what he's saying? It's impossible to fool the elect. Now, can we deceive ourselves? Oh, absolutely. We can get so far off track deceiving ourselves and taking our eyes off Jesus that we don't even resemble the Christian we should be. We did that. We chose that. If we are walking with God, there is nothing that can pull us away from the truth. Nothing. And I don't know about you, but I find a lot of comfort in that. That's what Paul's talking about when he says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy. He can throw at you whatever he wants. The truth will block it. We'll stop it. We'll expose it. And we'll take its power away from it. Instantly. And so what do we do with all that then? We know and we pursue real life. Eternal life. We pursue eternal truth and we live it in this world. Know and pursue real life. And this is where John goes in this. And it sounds like he's talking in a circle, but he's not. Because he's showing us what real life is. And so in verse 10, he says, Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you have the testimony of what God has done through Jesus living within you in the Holy Spirit. Which means every single one of us who are born again is qualified to testify to the power of God. Every single one of us. We have the testimony living inside of us of, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ who gave his life on the cross, was raised again on the third day, ascended to heaven, seated at the right hand of God, is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Have you been born again? We can all do that. He says, whoever does not believe God... Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. See, this is where I ask people, how much proof is enough? How much is enough? He's saying, what John is telling us right here is that God has given us enough. The testimony that God has given through the water, the blood, and the spirit is enough to believe. You don't need any more. You may want more. We may want more. But we're not going to get any more than that because he's already given us enough. It is enough for us to believe. He says in verse 11, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. So he's now limited it 
All we can do is pursue the Son of God. All we need to do is know the Son of God and follow Him in faith. We have life. We have eternal life. We have everything that we need from God. We're not lacking anything. See, one of the things that the opponents did in this, the heretics who came in and started teaching these false teachings to John's people, told them they were lacking something, and they believed them. And so John is now laying the foundation, and he says, oh, no, if you have the Son, you got it. It's all you need. You don't need anything else. And don't let anybody convince you that you need something else. And so he goes to straight, he says, whoever has the Son has life. Don't you love how simple he makes this? Whoever has the Son, do you know the Son of God? If you do, you have the life of God living within you. Just pursue that. See, it's the world that is always out there telling us you're lacking, you need, you need, you need, you need this, you need this, you need to change this, you need to be this, you you need to pursue this. And it changes weekly. You know, just about the time you're cool and you fit in, what happens? Everything changes. Guess what? Nothing changes with God. You have the Son, you have life. It's secure, it's stable, and it is unchanging. And so, we need only believe. We need only know the Son of God and continue in Him, and that's enough. It's not on us. It's not like we get saved, and then it's on us to somehow make it stick, or on us to grow and become something else. God will do that for us. In Galatians, and I'm I'm giving a little bit of, you know, our Sunday night study here, but in Galatians 3, 2 through 3, he says, let me ask you this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Obviously, by hearing with faith. That's where we get say. We believe in the gospel. He says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? The same faith that saved you is the same faith that will grow you, is the same faith that's going to carry you into heaven, is the same faith that you're going to sing about for all eternity in heaven. It's not going to change. It's not up to us to figure it out and be good enough or do enough after we're saved to be like, okay, now I'm something. We don't have to make ourselves. There are no self-made men or women in the kingdom of God. It doesn't exist. And so we pursue real life, and that is faith in Jesus, that is obedience, that is listening to the Spirit, that is knowing and standing in the truth of God no matter what happens around us. No matter what happens, we follow the one that we know is God. And when we know the Son of God, we have life. And that life, it doesn't end. It's not being taken away. It's not something we have to hold on to and and hope doesn't slip away. Our hope is secure in Him. Because it's not about us. It's about Him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you have given us your testimony of your son. Thank you that you have given us the scriptures, your spirit to guide us, that you have given us your church to guide us, to hold us in the faith. 
And God, I pray that we take this truth of who Jesus is, what He has done for us, what we have in the Holy Spirit, and God, it would become the bedrock foundation of who we are and what we do. God, that if there is anyone in here right now that's trying to prove themselves to you or, or, or make themselves better through their own effort, God, that you would relieve them of that stress to know that you have already done it and that we can rest in what you have done for us. That we would know you, the one true God and your son who loves us and gave himself for us. God, help us to glorify you by living this truth each day. Use us to share your love with others, that we would share this testimony that is already within us. Help us to share that testimony with those who will listen. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear that we would seek and save, seek to save the lost just like you. That we would join you in your mission and proclaim your goodness to this world. God, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray together.